the book of Acts chapter number five, beginning at verse number 14 through verse number 18. As you know, we've been going through the book of Acts off and on, sometimes more on than off and sometimes more off than on. And uh, with so many guest speakers, uh, we haven't had a, uh, I haven't taught a Bible study in a long time, it feels like, but, uh, but we're going to try tonight. But we want to talk on Acts chapter number five and verse 14. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on their beds and couches, that at least, at the least, the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. I want to speak tonight for a while on the cycles of an apostolic ministry, the cycles of an apostolic ministry. Lord, I pray for your anointing on me and on our ears to hear. God, that you would bless everyone that's here tonight and our online audience as well. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we ask for you to move and speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. You can be seated tonight. Over the months that we've talked about the book of Acts, we've continued to revisit it from time to time. Uh, I have continued to say something uh, that has resonated with many, and that is if we will do what the apostles did, then we can have what the apostles had. If we can do what the apostles did, if we will do that, then we can have what the apostles had. I have quoted often F.F. Bruce, one of the most noted biblical scholars and authors of the last hundred years, and F.F. Bruce said, to this day, the surest criterion of an apostolic church is its adherence to apostolic teaching. You cannot be an apostolic church and not do apostolic teaching. And so we are not apostolic because of our denominational affiliation, and we're, our church is not apostolic based on the name on our sign. The only way that we can be apostolic is if we are apostolic in our doctrine and apostolic in our practice. If we don't preach and teach apostolic doctrine and if we don't, don't uh, worship and work in an apostolic way, then we're not apostolic. Amen. And if I was going to be... Uh, if I was going to be a contrarian, I would say that there's probably some churches that have apostolic on the sign that probably aren't very apostolic. But not only as a church, but I will tell you that on a personal, on a personal level, that I'm not apostolic because I had an experience years ago, and I'm not apostolic because I go to an apostolic church. The only way that I can be apostolic is if I obey apostolic doctrine and practice apostolic principles. I gotta be apostolic. I gotta live an apostolic life. And that's more than just what I did in an altar 25, 30 years ago. That's more than just the kind of church that I go to. But 
do I really obey apostolic doctrine? Not just repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name and the Holy Ghost, but apostolic doctrine from the standpoint of what the early church did. I want to be apostolic. Amen. I want to be apostolic. And so only, the only way to be apostolic is to live, teach, preach, and practice the apostolic principles. So many, perhaps most, modern apostolic Pentecostals have what I call a utopian misconception. Anytime something goes well, God did it. Anytime something goes poorly, it's because God's mad at us. And there's a lot of people that live their life that way. That if something goes wrong, they think for some reason God's upset with them. And so their emotional and spiritual state is up and down, up and down, because everything that comes to their life, they feel like it's either a sign of God's favor or God's disfavor. And we, we do certainly believe that, uh, that we can walk in divine favor. I believe we can walk in the blessings of God. But divine favor does not demand the absence of opposition and trouble. Just because you have trial problems in life doesn't mean that you're not walking in divine favor. If that's the case, then none of the apostles had divine favor on their life. If you're having troubles and trials based on bad decisions, if you're having troubles and persecution based on your own ungodly actions, then the proper thing to do is repent and ask for forgiveness and then ask God to give you wisdom how to straighten up the mess. If you're in a situation because you couldn't keep your mouth shut, then that's not God's disfavor. That's just a lack of self-control and self-discipline. Praise the Lord. I've known people that every time something went wrong in life, why does God not love me? Why does God not do, and, and I'm like, God's not the one that told you to quit your job before you got another one. God's not the one that told you to buy a four-wheeler instead of pay your bill. I better stick to the book of Acts, right? <laughs> but, but we all maybe at times have been that way, or at least we've known somebody that's been that way, that everything in life, if they had opposition, they thought it was because God was upset with them or angry. But trouble is not necessarily an indication of sin or bad decisions. Everybody that has trouble, that has difficulty or trial in life, that doesn't mean they've done something wrong. And so the last, the worst thing we can do is just assume that somebody's having difficulty because they did wrong. Now, if they did, that's between them and God. And when God takes care of it, we'll be fine either way. But, but we don't assume that people's, that people's circumstances are based on their trial. The last lesson we did on the book of Acts, it was a long time ago, I don't remember exactly when, but we were talking about Ananias and Sapphira and the way that God moved, the way that God judged them for their, for their wickedness and that through that, it got the people's attention and through that, God worked a great revival. The last verse of our last lesson on the book of Acts was verse number 14 
And the believers were the more added, Acts 5, 14, the believers were the more added to the Lord, both multitudes of both men and women. Believers were added to the Lord. I think it's one thing important to remember is that if we really want to be a real apostolic church, we've got to be kingdom-minded, not just, not only local church-minded. Amen. That's one of the things. I, I, I had lunch with Brother Azar yesterday. Um, he's getting ready to head back to, uh, to Lebanon. But, uh, but, but one of the things that, that I love the most about this church is you are a kingdom-minded church. That when you hear of a, of a missionary or a pastor or a church that needs help or prayer, that you all are always ready because you have a kingdom mindset. I think it's important to understand here that the Bible said believers were the more added to the Lord. Not just to their local church, but to the Lord. It was a kingdom mindset. It was a mindset that we want souls to be saved. They may, they may get baptized here, but go to church in New Albany or in Holly Springs or in Oxford or in Africa, wherever. But it's about the kingdom. We want to do kingdom work and kingdom business. And when people are born again, they're added to the Lord, and that's what's most important. And so people were added to more to the Lord. Now look at verse number 15. Insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. That is an interesting passage of Scripture because these, there, there was so much faith that was activated by what God had been doing. There was so much faith in people that they just thought that if, if, if we bring our sick family members and we lay them down, that, uh, and, and this is the way that the, the Apostle Peter passes by when he's going to the church, when he's going to the temple to pray, and we're gonna lay our sick folks here hoping that at least the shadow of Peter, they didn't even, they, they, didn't, even, they didn't say, well, he has to stop, he has to, he has to stop and pray or speak to him. If, if, if even the shadow of Peter would fall over, over them, then they could be healed. That's a lot of faith. And, and as far as I know, there's nowhere in the Bible. Now, my, you, 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 my, my memory's bad, and it, it might be in there. And if it is, then, uh, then I'm apologizing. But I don't remember a place where just the shadow of somebody healed someone. I don't recall it. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm saying I don't recall it. But they had enough faith to believe for God to heal in a way that he had never healed before. That's a lot of faith. And it makes me to know that we should expect God to move wherever the shadow of this church goes. And the church is not a building, the church is the people. That means that everywhere you go, we should expect God to move. Amen. That's right. We should have expectations. A lot of times when I'm out and about, a lot of times when I'm out and about and I'm, I'm uh, you know, people see me here and there, they'll come up and say, hey, I, hey, Brother V, whether they come to church here or not, I've been having this or that. And I said, well, why don't we pray right now? I mean, I prayed, in, uh, I prayed the other day in the, uh, in, in the hunting section of, of Walmart. Somebody there, they, we were talking, and I, you know, I told them I pastored the church, and they said, well, I had this issue, 
And I said, well, why don't we just pray right now? So I, you know, I grabbed the, the, the phone off, the, off the, the, pier, the pier and I pressed the button and I talked in tongues over the whole loud. I didn't do that. You know what I did? I just put my hand on their shoulder and I, and I asked the Lord to help them. We didn't make a big scene out of it, but I asked the Lord to help them and I asked the Lord to touch them. And I believe that we should have an expectation that wherever the shadow of this church goes, whether it's where you work, where you eat, where you, where you hang out, where, you, where our kids go to school, we have an expectation that wherever we go, the power of God goes with us. Amen. They expected that the shadow of Peter, we should expect God to have a demonstration of his spirit wherever we go. One of the goals I'd like to have through this message is for you to walk out of these doors tonight and expect that wherever you go, when you pray, that God will move. Amen. If it's somebody at work that's going through a tough time in their family and they open their heart up to you and they tell you what's going on, that you should have enough of a belief that God will move, that you will tell them, I'll pray. If it's someplace you can't pray right at that moment, you tell them that you'll pray and then don't forget to pray. A lot of times when people say, hey, Brother V, pray for this, I'll say, I'll say, okay, I'll pray, and I'll pray right then because I know that stuff escapes my mind pretty quick sometimes. And so I pray in Jesus' name right at that moment because I don't want to tell somebody I'll pray and then forget to pray. And so we should have an expectation for a demonstration of the Spirit. Amen. Can you say that? I have an expectation. I have an expectation. God filled you with the same Holy Ghost. He gave every pastor, every preacher, every missionary. And that same Holy Ghost is the Holy Ghost that heals and delivers and moves. And so wherever you go, have an expectation that God wants to use you to help somebody, to encourage somebody. And so verse number 16, there came also a multitude out of the cities round about into Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed Every one. When God begins to move, people begin to talk about it. Amen. When God begins to move, people begin to talk about it. I, I had a uh, pastor call me the other day, and he, he was asking about some things that God's been doing here for the last few months, people we baptize and the way that God's moved through our, through our drug program. I didn't tell him about that, but he had heard about it. When God moves, people want to talk about a move of God. Amen. And so the best thing we can do is let God move. Amen. And so people were healed and delivered by the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. They were, the Bible said that the sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits and they were healed everyone. There's two points I want to make on this verse quickly before I move on. Number one is that, uh, that, that we're talking about, here's what, here's what the church was doing. People were being healed and they were being delivered from demonic possession, from unclean spirits, either possession or oppression. Possession is when they open their spirit for that spirit to be inside. Oppression is when, is when the, that darkness follows them around. It's not necessarily in them. There's a, there's a nuance there. And, and the, Bible's, the Bible is not real clear which one they're talking about. My guess is probably both. It just said they were vexed. They were troubled by unclean spirits. So that's what the church was doing. 
They were praying for people that were sick and people that were troubled with unclean spirits. You would think, well, let, let, me, let me go ahead and, and make one more point before I move on from there. And the, the term the Bible used, they were healed, everyone. They were healed. Everybody say healed. We don't think about deliverance from demonic powers as healing, but the Bible talked about, talked about it as healing. And so when we deal with people that are under demonic attack, and we, and we think, well, they, they wouldn't be going through it if they didn't ask for it. You know, they had to open themselves. We just need, they need a healing of the soul. And when you look at people that are bound by sin and bound by things of this world and their lives and their mind and their families are tormented by those things, let's not be so self-righteous that we get an attitude and think, well, they deserve what they get. Let's understand that what they need is healing. What they need is healing. The families that are torn apart by addiction, what they need is healing. The families that are torn about, apart by generational sin and curse, they need healing. And so when, when we begin to look at it, that what, we're, what our job is in this world is to bring the healing of the spirit, not only to the sick, but to the spiritually vexed, then we understand that we're here on a mission from God. All right? And so... And so here's what the church was doing. They were, they, were, they were ministering to the sick and those that were vexed with unclean spirits. And look at verse 17. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. Now, tell me something that the apostles had done that should have made the religious people upset? Does it make sense for quote unquote church people to be upset that sick people are healed and that people vexed with unclean spirits are, are delivered? Doesn't make any sense, does it? Have you ever wondered why the church isn't fought by sinners as much as it's fought by quote-unquote Christians? Did you ever wonder about that? You know, we're, we're the subject of, of a lot of sermons. Occasionally, I'll run into a friend or two that goes to, and they'll say, hey, wait, my pastor was talking about you all the other day. I've said, I'm good. I want to give them something to talk about. The high priest rose up filled with indignation. And the only two things he's mad about is that through the Holy Ghost, sick people were healed and people vexed with unclean spirits were healed. It's a sad thing when religion is upset because people are being helped. Oh, Lord. When people who claim to be religious fight a move of God more than sinners do. There is no mention in this passage of Scripture, in this particular place, in this particular context of Scripture, there is no mention of the Romans being upset at all. These Romans that worship all these idols and all, they're, 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 they're not even mentioned here. They don't care. They're not upset one bit. It doesn't bother the sinner that God is moving for somebody else. It only bothers the religious people. 
the entrenched religious movement of the day were the ones fighting the move of God. I will tell you, I do not want to be a hindrance to what God is trying to do. Amen. I don't want this church to be the bottleneck that stops God from doing what God wants to do. Amen. I found over the years that we don't often get fought or run down by addicts and sinners and thieves, but we get preached about sometimes because we're having Holy Ghost revival. I've seen people, I've known people that have come to this church, been delivered from drug addiction, got their life together, got off of alcohol, got got a good job and started making something out of themselves, that their denominational family literally said that they would rather them be an addict than be an apostolic. I'm like, with all due respect, and I never said it out loud, but I thought it in my head, that is one of the dumbest things somebody could ever say. But it's not without precedent in the Bible. It was the religious folks that were fighting what God was doing. And so here's what they did, verse 18. They laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. You know, they, apparently they had a, a, uh, an upper-class prison, a, you know, like a, a, a what's, what's the word I'm looking for? You know how we're, we're the prison that the, the rich folks go to and then you got the common prison for everybody else? They had to go to the common prison. They were in there with the murderers and the thieves and, and, and the common criminals. Here, all they had done, all they had done was pray for sick people and heal people that were vexed with, with unclean spirits. All they had done was go around helping people and helping people get their lives together and helping people be delivered from, from sickness and from demonic spirits and they're thrown in prison with murderers and thieves and rapists because all they did was help somebody. It tells you what some people's mind equates God's work with. If it's not our kingdom, then it's not good enough. We throw, I, I just assume they'd be with everybody else in the prison. So they threw them in the prison. They were, they were relegated to being criminals for obeying the, the voice of God and having revival. Here's something that, uh, and, and I, I am trying to get to my point. Here's something that you have to understand about God. God is mission-minded. Say that with me. God is mission-minded. More than anything else, he's mission-minded. He left heaven to be, to be put into a human womb. Could you imagine what it would be like for the God that fills the universe to allow himself to be contained in a womb of a human woman? And then to be born in a manger, submitted to sickness and aches and pains and hunger and thirst, all the maladies and conditions of humanity, despised and rejected by the very people he loved, beaten and persecuted and crucified, for one reason, he had a mission to save mankind from sin. He gave everything up for the mission. He gave everything down to his blood for his mission. He moves, God moves primarily to fulfill his mission. If you want God to move, be mission-minded. And I'm not talking about just world missions, foreign missions. I'm talking about the work of God. Be mindful of God's mission. 
You have to understand that all the stories in the Bible are there to advance the mission of God. They're put in this book so we can learn how God thinks and operates and moves. It's all to get to the point to seek and save that which was lost. From the restoration of Adam and Eve and the covering of them in the garden all the way through the Bible, it's all about his mission, his mission to seek and to save that which was lost. God moves primarily to fulfill his mission. And so we have to understand that that, that these stories are here in the Bible to get people to believe him so he can save them and be about mission. His last words in his human form was the phrase, it is finished. My mission is done. I did what I was born for. I did what I came to do. I have finished my mission And so to understand the Bible, you have to understand that the Bible is a book about mission. If you don't understand that it's about mission, then it's just a bunch of stories and it's just a bunch of interesting fables and you put them together and it makes for a cool story. But you have to understand that everything drives to the mission. And so now there are, in our text, the apostles have been arrested for doing good for healing the sick, delivering the possessed. But that's not the only reason they're in prison. Part of the reason they're in prison is because they threaten the power structure of the structure of the religious hierarchy and culture. The people that were in charge were more about position for themselves than they were about reaching people. And when religion becomes self-centered instead of others focused, Religion becomes the hindrance to what God wants to do. Amen. When the church becomes inward focused instead of outward focused, we can't be on mission. And so the apostles are in the common prison. And here's what God did. Acts chapter number five and verse number 19. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth. God moved supernaturally. God sent an angel into the prison to bring them out. My question is, why did God do that? I will tell you, if you're about self, God has no obligation to move supernaturally for us. If we're about position, reputation, or any other selfish motive, God has no responsibility to move for us. If I'm carnal, worldly, and sinful, I I can have no expectation for the supernatural. But if I'm about the mission of God, then I can expect God to move in impossible situations and impossible ways. God moves for mission-minded people. Amen. I'm going to say it again. God moves for mission-minded people. Let me say it a third time. I started to say, let me say it a third time. We're number one. God moves for mission-minded people. God moves for mission-minded people. So why did God move for them? And why did he move then? 
Why did he put an angel, why did he send an angel into that prison to get the apostles out? Later on, all of the apostles except for John would be martyred for their faith. He didn't, the, the, the last time of their life, he didn't, he didn't show up and supernaturally deliver them. Some died by the sword, some died by crucifixion, some died in other ways. But he didn't move for them later, but why did he move for them now? Why did God send the supernatural? You know, these, I understand we believe in healing, but at some point, everybody's gonna die. And so at some point, we're not gonna be healed. It's a point unto men wants to die. And so why did God move for them here in this situation? I'm gonna show you verse number 20. Here's what he said. Let me go back and read 19 again because I, I left off two words off 19 at the end. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, go. Stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. God moved for them so they would tell others about him. God's about his mission. God delivered them because he wanted them to go tell people about him. I submit that if we will be mission-minded, if we'll be on mission for him every time when we leave here tonight, when we go home, when we wake up in the morning, when we go to work, we go to school, we go wherever we go, if we go with the idea, I want a mission today, my job's to tell somebody about Jesus. My job is to pray for somebody that needs him. My job is to reach for somebody. If I'll be on mission, I can expect God to show up. But if I'm just about me and my schedule and my life and what I want to do, I have no expectation for the supernatural to show up. God moved here for his mission. He could have left them in prison, but there were gonna be people on that temple mount the next day that needed to hear about Jesus. So he gets them out of prison to position them for his mission because God is a mission-minded God. I think we'll see more miracles the more we're on mission. I think we'll see more supernatural the more we're on mission. I think we'll see more power of God the more we're on mission. But if it's just about me getting out of my circumstance, God has no obligation to show me the supernatural. God is a mission-minded God. Amen. And so now, my, my title tonight, my title is, is about the cycles of an apostolic ministry because I, I, in, this, in this passage of Scripture that we've done, you, you've seen God move to start off with men and women coming to the Lord in great numbers, people being healed, people being delivered. What happens? The enemy shows up. Opposition comes. The enemy fights. And then the, after the enemy fights, then what does God do? God shows up, doesn't he? And God moves. Well, what happens when that? The enemy shows up and rears up again. There's a cycle that happens when you're really on an apostolic mission as a church. God will send revival, and every time God sends revival, you better be ready because the devil's gonna try to fight it. Amen. That's right. And when the devil fights it, you've gotta understand, it's not God that's against you, God's not mad at you, you're not being punished for something. You're walking in an apostolic anointing. And you can expect the enemy to rise up. 
But just as sure as you can expect the enemy to rise up, you can expect God to rise up too. That's what I'm trying to talk about tonight is the cycle of an apostolic ministry. Don't let the enemy intimidate you out of being used by God. Don't let the enemy rising up in opposition and indignation and people talking about that crazy Pentecostal church or who do you think you, you know, why do you do that? Why do you live like this? And, and, and all the opposition that comes with being an apostolic ministry, don't let that intimidate you from letting God move. God needs you to be an apostolic everywhere you go. Praise God. And when the enemy rises up, you just know in the back of your mind that the very next step, when the enemy rises up, is God rises up next. Is that what we're seeing here? Do you see the cycle developing in the scripture? God moves for his mission. Go speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. Go tell other people. Never forget, I know I've said it over and over and over, but never forget that God moves for his mission. If we'll come in this place Sunday morning and we're on mission and we're expecting God, that everybody that comes into this church that has a need, we're expecting God to move. And we want everybody that comes in here to feel the Holy Ghost. And we want people to be baptized and feel. And it's not just about me being entertained. And it's not just about me enjoying the service. But when I come in, I'm coming in on mission. I'm looking for somebody to pray with. I'm looking for somebody to minister to. I'm looking for somebody to share God's love with. I'm on mission. We have an expectation for God to move when we're on mission. Never forget that. Never underestimate how much God will do for someone who's willing to work for him. Verse 21, and when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came and they that were with him and called the council together and all the synod of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. God moved, his mission progressed, the enemy sent opposition again. Verse 24, now the high priest and the captain of the temple of the chief priests and the chief priests heard these things. They doubted of them whereunto this would grow. So now the priests get the message back. They're not in the prison anymore. They're over, at, they're over there preaching. They're, they're not in the prison now. They've been delivered. And here's what the high priest, now, now think with me for a moment. If you were the high priest, and you had arrested these men that had prayed for people and, and people had been delivered and healed and you put them in jail for it. And then the next morning they come and they say, hey, they're, the, the jail's still locked up, but they're not there anymore. What would your first thought be? I probably shouldn't have arrested those guys. I might have been wrong. Maybe I ought to repent. Maybe they were right and I was wrong and I, and I should have, I, I, maybe I made the mistake. You know what they said? Here's what they said. They doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Said, I hope nobody else finds out about this. They, instead of repenting, instead of getting their heart right, they hope it doesn't spread to somebody else. They're more concerned with their own position than they are with people being reached with the gospel. I hope nobody finds out about this. One, one version said that they, were, that they were starting to wonder how this was all going to end. 
how it was going to end is probably in eternity. They're probably going to be in hell. And these guys they threw in prison are going to be in heaven. They never considered dropping the charges and moving on. So here's what happened next. Verse 27, they brought them, they had them rearrested, brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? Now, if I was one of the apostles, and this egghead that had me thrown in jail, and an angel came and got me out of jail, the last thing I'm gonna be is afraid of you. Didn't we tell you? You didn't do what we said. Yeah, you told me not to do it, but the Lord that got me out of prison said, go and tell everybody about this life. And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Oh God, let us be guilty of that. It'd be a shame if there's anybody in the area around this church that doesn't know about the Holy Ghost. Wouldn't that be a shame? Wouldn't it be a shame after all these years we've been here and all the power of God and miracles and move of the Spirit and the anointing of the Holy Ghost, wouldn't it be a shame if we can't fill this part of the country with the knowledge of Jesus' name? Amen. We ought to make sure everybody knows, shouldn't we? You filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. That's an interesting phrase. You're trying to blame us for Jesus dying. Well, you're the reason he's dead. You're the one, the high priest, you're the one that paid Judas 30 pieces of silver to get him arrested. You did it, but now you don't want to be blamed for what you did. Here's a good life lesson. Don't do something that you don't want to be blamed for doing. If you don't want to reap the consequences of lying, don't lie. Amen. If you don't want to reap the consequences for stealing, then don't steal. They did it, but they didn't want to be blamed for it. You're trying to to blame us for this. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. We don't answer to you, high priest. We're not submitted to to your authority. We're going to obey God. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. We're on a mission. We are mission-minded people. We are mission-minded people. We are on a mission to be a witness of these things. And we know one thing, that God moves for people who are on mission. We are witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, who God, whom God hath given to them that obey him. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. You would think that at some point these guys would wise up, but when they heard that, they got so mad, they said, we're going to kill these guys. They just arrested him before, but now they want to kill him. You see the cycle. God moves, the enemy rises up. God moves again, the enemy rises up. God moves again. 
There's a man named Gamaliel, and for the one of time, I won't go into all this because I want to get to the end of this chapter. There's a man named Gamaliel, and he's on this council. He's one of the high priest's friends, and he's on this council, and they, they said, let's just kill him. Let's kill him. They took counsel to slay them, and Gamaliel says, now hold on, wait a second, guys. Hold on. Here's what he says in verse 38. Now I say to you, refrain from these men. Let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it. He said, look, if these guys are really of God, if they're not of God, it's gonna fizzle out. It'll be over before you know it. Don't give, don't give something insignificant any more attention than you have to. Let it die out, it'll go away. But if it's of God, no matter what you do, you're not gonna be able to stop it. Hallelujah. If it be of God, you cannot overthrow it. Let me tell you, I know the world's bad. Anybody agree with me on that? Society's wicked. The religious environment in this generation is, is, is carnal and worldly. I know the Antichrist is coming. I know all that. I know, I know all these systems are getting in place for the mark of the beast. I know all that. But I'm gonna tell you something else I know that they can't stop what God's gonna do. All that stuff going on out there, if it be of God, they can't stop it. So you know what I wanna be? I wanna be of God. If we'll be of God, the world can't stop the church. If we'll be of God, the enemy can't stop you. So be about God, be about the mission, and if you're about the mission, the world can't stop you. So they took counsel and decided to let them go. And verse 40, and to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles, so they agreed with Gamaliel, to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, it's like they couldn't just let them go, they had to give them one for the road, you know. They beat them and commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. They beat them and said, don't speak in Jesus' name anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm coming to the last two verses, the last part of chapter number five. Let, one of the most I'm getting ready to say one of the most important phrases of this entire Bible study tonight, okay? Uh, what, what was it my teacher used to say? Put your thinking cap on. Put your thinking cap on. Your attitude towards your trials determines how you survive them. Your attitude, amen. I, that must be my, that must be my uh, cue that it's time to go. I'm all right if you're all right. I don't mind stud preaching to a little music. I don't know if you've noticed that there's been a little bit of a theme over the last two or three weeks that I've preached. I preached a message a few weeks ago about our attitude, that joy is a mindset. I don't know if you remember that. If you didn't, go back two or three Sunday nights ago, joy is a mindset. I preached this Sunday morning the as if principle. It's about how you approach, it's about our mental, our mental approach. I'm gonna tell you that the enemy in these days wants to wear out the saints of the Most High. He wants to attack your faith and get you to doubt what God is going to do. But I will tell you, 
I will tell you that your attitude towards your trials will determine your outcome. Look at verse 41. And they departed from the presence of the council, vowing to pray that God would kill the high priest and every one of those losers. God, get them. No, they, 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 they departed from the presence of the council and they complained that God didn't love them anymore and that's why they were going through trials. They left the council and they complained because they were going through it worse than someone else was and they wanted somebody else to at least go through it as bad as they were. No, here's their attitude. They were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They decided not to hate the high priest, not to blame God, they just decided my attitude towards this trial is going to be that I'm going to rejoice to be counted worthy to suffer for his name. Your attitude in your trial often determines the outcome. Now let's, let's think what would have happened if they'd have left that encounter with a bad attitude and a vengeful spirit and an angry, mad attitude. What would have happened, do you think? Do you think that when they went out mad and angry and, and spewing fire at the high priest and all those people that, that, that beat them, that, that that would have inspired the people of the city? Their reaction, their attitude towards their suffering is what convinced the people in the city that these people really have the Holy Ghost. Look at verse 42. Daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. They kept on their mission. Look, I, I wish, I, I've noticed, you know, the last several weeks, we've had some people dealing with some difficult situations, some trials. We've had, uh, we've had some, some people that have dealt with situations that I can only, I can only identify as backlash from the enemy for the changes that they've made in their lives and trying to do something for God and work for God. People dealing with opposition, people dealing with trial and difficulty. What I'm telling you is think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is sent to try you. Don't think, man, I must be messing up. I'm, I'm dealing with temptation, I'm dealing with trial, I'm dealing with problems, I'm dealing with opposition, I'm dealing with attitudes, I'm dealing with all this stuff. I must have done something wrong or God must be upset at me or something. I just want you to understand that there are some things that are just the natural cycle of an apostolic ministry. And that is when God moves, the enemy wants to rise up. But when the enemy rises up, God will rise up. And then the enemy will rise up again. And then God will rise up again. It's a cycle, but what you've gotta make sure you do is you maintain a proper attitude and number two, you have expectation that God's gonna show up. Amen. Those are the two goals I hope when we leave tonight that we've got in our spirit. Lord, I thank you for these great people. God, these are wonderful folks. And God, I thank you because you've made us part of the same spiritual family and you've, brought, you've bonded our hearts together. God, we are not people without trials and difficulties and troubles to overcome. We're not, we're not a people that that don't have situations and circumstances that rise up. God, we are often dealing with the cycles of being in an apostolic ministry. And God, that when you move in a powerful, mighty way that we often sense the backlash of the enemy, 
But God, we have an expectation that you're gonna show up and you're gonna take care of it and you're gonna be with people. So God, those that are dealing with it tonight, whether they're here in this room or somewhere else in our campus or watching online, I'm gonna ask you, Lord, to send an angel to their prison, to their circumstance. I'm gonna ask you, God, to supernaturally move and encourage the heart. Help us, God, to have the proper attitude towards our trials and tribulations and difficulties. And God, I pray, Lord, that you help us and that in these cycles that come with being involved in a move of the Spirit, that we don't lose faith and we don't lose hope, and that, God, I ask you right now to let the anointing of your Spirit touch the mind and the heart of the men and women that are here. Lord, in Jesus' name, I feel the Holy Ghost moving here right now. God, I pray that you would just, as I'm praying right now, let your Spirit just give a gentle nudge of reassurance, oh God, of your mercy and grace. Lord, I ask you, God, to be with your church. These are your people, God. They love you and they want a move of your spirit. And so I ask you, God, to help us as we deal with the cycles of, of obeying you and serving you, God. I pray your mercy and grace on your people. In the name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. You are dismissed in Jesus' name.